Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea and your favorite cardigan and we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys. Well, today we're going to be taking a listener question about that difficulty of finding me time, especially when you have young kids and a spouse who works a lot. In our psychology and pop culture segment, we're going to be talking about the rise of therapy speak. We're finding even kids are using therapy terms like trauma and triggered and gaslighting and toxic. And what does it mean when therapy talk has become just a part of our regular vernacular? We have a what I want you to know about how childhood rejection affects you going forward, which is very relatable. Uh, But first, I'm going to do a mental health check-in with Matthias. Hey, Matthias. Hey, Kristen. How's your mental health going? You know, it's it's okay. I like I so I just signed a new book deal. So exciting. I'm so excited about. Yeah. Um, and like which means that there is a new like looming deadline in my life. Like I feel like I remember totally. this so well from you know like school where, where you have this this sense of Yes, you're in finals week forever. Right. Yeah, things yeah. are hanging over your head. There's uh-huh. always something you need to do. Yeah. Like, I mean, I haven't been in that space for a little while. And so mm-hmm. now I'm I'm right back in that place of like, okay, this this book is due in May. <laughs> like I have to I have to write a whole book between now and, and May, which I mean I, I I'm thrilled. <laughs> yeah. And that sense of it changes it changes everything it changes the am i allowed to relax this weekend should i go to a coffee shop and work and write like so i'm just kind of learning and and relearning renegotiating those places of what is okay for me as far as rest and also like how do i face that real reality of i have to write a whole book yeah in five months. <laughs> oh, it's such a tough one. I feel like every time a friend gets a book deal, I feel like simultaneously saying congratulations and I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because I know the slog. Yeah. And yep. I have to tell you, I never that that feeling that you are in a perpetual state of finals week. And when you have a book even when the deadline is a ways out, but that feeling that you can never really relax because you should be working on the book. Like I never shook that. I felt that the entire time. And I, I feel like it was a really unhealthy headspace for me. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in that. Like I am never allowed to rest. Right. That's how I felt. Uh huh. But then you do revenge rest, right? Because then your body's like, well, I do need rest. So I'll just do it in, you know, inopportune times that aren't really (laughs) life-giving. Totally. Right. (laughs) Right. Which I feel like, I mean, regardless of writing a book or whatever it is, I was hanging over your head. Like, that is so real. And what I'm trying, I don't know if this will work. Like, we're still at the very beginning stages of this. But what I'm trying is I have never been good at actually, like, pacing out my work. (laughs) That is, I, I'm a procrastinator through and through, 
but I am I am trying where I've scheduled like legitimately scheduled in writing time and am writing during those hours and then I'm allowing myself to you know do whatever whatever else outside mm-hmm. of those hours and just trusting hopefully that it will all work itself out. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> yep. But well, congratulations and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I only say that because I've been there. Yeah, it's real. It's real. Um, it's, real. it's yeah. yeah, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. But mm-hmm. it's but it's also a big deal in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? How how's your mental health? It's pretty good. You know, I'm um I'm feeling a real sense of satisfaction in parenting right now, mm. which is ironic because I'm in the teen years. <laughs> they get, you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of chatter about how difficult it is. And in fact, and I want to acknowledge, I mean, we get a ton of questions about parenting teens. Like it, it is very stressful and, and I, I, it is very stressful for me too, but I'm also just really enjoying it. And so I'm now coming off of, you know, two trips with my teenagers and I just am finding them to be lovely travel partners mm. Um, that's not to say that they don't get whiny or complain. Um, and I also want to say I've had complaints from all of my teenagers, even about taking these trips that, you know, are kind of like amazing trips, but like they would prefer to just stay home and hang out with their friends. (laughs) Like full disclosure. That's how ungrateful they are. Like I gave this big reveal about our Christmas New York trip and one kid literally threw his head back and like groaned. Oh no. (laughs) So I don't want to present any toxic positivity here, but I am, I'm just enjoying traveling with them. I think I, I will say, you know, for people who are listening and maybe have younger kids, it does get better. But I think to like traveling with teens, I think is just its whole other vibe because you just have to find wins for them for whatever they're into. And you have to sacrifice some of like what you want to do for like, what's the thing that they're going to like, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So for us, wherever we travel, I find skate parks nearby mm-hmm. and that's going to be built into the trip time for my boys to skate. My family is <laughs> like, very, very gendered down, like stereotypical lines yeah. where, which I hate, but <laughs> it is what it is. I tried. I tried. <laughs> and here we are. But, you know, just classic. My boys want to go do physical things and watch sports. And my girls want to go to art museums and the theater. That's where yeah. I'm at. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, the girls and I have like a lot of museum time. We're seeing shows. I did find some shows that the boys would enjoy. But a lot of it is just like, okay, the boys, they want to go to the Supreme store and they want to go to a skate store and they want to, you know, walk around the city by themselves, which makes them feel cool. So I don't know. I just, I guess I'm feeling happy that I've raised these humans that I enjoy traveling with. Mm -hmm. And and that just feels really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Like deeply satisfying. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And it puts me in a good space. I mean, again, not that it's not, not that it's not stressful and not that we don't all have our moments. I mean, I have, oh my gosh, I have one kid who 
is on the beige diet. She's been on the beige diet since she was born, like Mm. will only eat beige foods and has also decided she's vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Like kill me now. (laughs) So she'll basically eat variations of bread and cheese. Mm -hmm. And I did midway through the trip, like go no more wire hangers on her about it. Like you can't be this picky. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't live off of, like, street vendor pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> you can't not be able to find one single thing to eat in a nice restaurant. Yeah, right. right. But anyway, it's it's good. It's good. By and large, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. What do you have for two thumbs up? Well, speaking of pretzels. <laughs> speaking of pretzels. <laughs> Listen, I love pretzels. I, I mean, nothing against them. oh my gosh yeah so the other night i was you know laying on my couch and hadn't made dinner yet and was like you know what sounds really good pretzels which shocked me i am they always sound good i mean they always sound good but i am not one i have i don't know that i've ever had a craving for pretzels before Mm. so i'm not even going to question this but yeah um pretzels sounded really good and i found this recipe and this is my two thumbs up this, these easy homemade soft pretzel bites oh uh, soft pretzels yeah, yeah we're talking dough we're, yeah but, yeah i mean they Warm were just dough. oh my gosh they were so <laughs> good Kristen, and relatively easy to make like i'm not going to pretend like any yeasted dough is is yeah. easy peasy yeah but it's, i mean it's a yeasted dough it only has to rise for an hour um it, they were fun easy to make and they turned out so well and so these look delicious they look oh like aunt annie's pretzel bites right. yeah I mean, like they in the were, mall they were everything you want like that soft fluffy mm. i made like a little cheese sauce to go with them and that's what i ate for dinner <laughs> oh <laughs> my gosh well first of all don't tell my daughter okay <laughs> that this is an adult decision that could be made <laughs> pretzels for dinner yeah. okay question for you do you have a stand mixer i do you do yeah yeah. Do you, you think you could make these without one? Or uh, yeah, I think you could. Yeah, uh, you would. Ha- they need to be kneaded. Yeah, but like I only needed it in the stand mixer for like two to three minutes, and so okay. it, like if you're okay, you know, mixing your flour together and everything, and then you know, kneading for probably five six minutes by hand. Yeah, I think you'd be good to go. Yeah, I don't have a stand mixer. Yeah, and I just I don't know. I'm conflicted about it. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things that, like, I didn't have one until last year, and I got by just fine. Yeah. But it's so nice to have. I know. I know they're so nice to have, but they take up a lot of space. Like, it's a big kitchen Truly. footprint. Yeah, they take up a massive amount of space. And honestly, I only use mine, like, once every three, four months. Right. So, yeah. I know. So, I've never, I have, you know, the mixer, like, the plug-in, you know. Right. Portable. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Those sound really good though. Oh my gosh. Delicious. You're making me hungry. <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> What's yours? Okay. Mine is um, makeup related. So my girls have started wearing makeup, my daughters. And I, it's funny, like my mom did not give me a lot of instruction on makeup and I feel like I was flying very blind. And as a result, I bought drugstore makeup that was, I don't know, probably made of cancer that I was putting in my eyes. So I've been trying to help my girls kind of cultivate like 
a makeup collection, small, you know, small makeup collection. And so what I got them this Christmas that I wanted to share because I really like it and it was pretty affordable was I bought them these empty magnetic eyeshadow palettes, which Hmm. I've talked about these before. I've used them forever, but I finally bought them for my girls. So they're just, you know, a little empty palette that you can stick pots in and then they'll magnetize to the back. Oh, cool. And they're really portable. They've got a little mirror on them. So I bought both both girls one of those. And then I went to MAC. And if you buy eyeshadow refills, so they don't come in the pot that's kind of MAC is known for, you know, those Mm. black pots. It's Mm -hmm. just what you would put back into the pot. They're only $8. But a lot of times they go on sale. So I got them on a Black Friday sale and they were like, I think $5.60 per eyeshadow refill, which is very cheap for like, you know, a a department store eyeshadow. And so I just bought each girl four to five eyeshadow singles in colors that I thought would be flattering. Because that's the other thing. When you buy a palette that someone else has made, there's always like three good colors and then three that are just cuckoo. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm also having an agenda of like keeping it neutral, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) let's avoid any crazy colors, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just bought them a number of Mac eyeshadow singles. Again, they were like about five bucks each with the palette, the palettes eight bucks. So all told, I got them these really cute customized palettes of really good quality makeup for 35 bucks each. Wow. Yeah. And they love them. They love it. I, I love that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sold. I think I will forever just be buying these magnetized palettes. Now, you can buy MAC brand palettes, but they're way more expensive. Sure. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm in love with these. And they're great for travel. Like whenever I travel, I just, you know, stick everything in a palette. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really economical. And they're, you know, less waste too. That's a bonus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. All right. Today's listener, um, what I want you to know is about childhood rejection and how that affects you going forward. I found this to be so poignant and relatable. It's from Caroline Garnett McGraw. My kindergarten classroom contained six tables of varying hues. One day I decided that table three, the one with the royal purple chairs, was the table for me. The cool girls sat at table three. With the self-confidence of childhood, I asked to sit where I believed I belonged. My memory stops there, so I'm not sure exactly what happened next. But I do know that the answer to my question was a very blatant no. So I walked back to my ugly orange chair at table six, shame burning my cheeks. That was the day I made some rules for myself. I buried them deep down where I wouldn't see them or question them. Be really careful with people you admire. Don't assume you belong with them. It's better to pretend like you don't want to sit at their table at all. Fast forward 20 odd years. I'm a full-time writer living my childhood dream. I yearn to form friendships with my fellow writers, but the fact is I'm scared to interact with them. Why? When I listen closely, the answer is simple. Table three. Instead of facing this fear, I've been trying to go it alone. I've been acting as though I don't need support because I'm terrified that these cool kids will turn their backs. 
Yet those rules I made back then have nothing to do with reality now. The writers I admire are nothing like those kindergarten classmates. My present day peers have offered me so much, real friendship, glowing recommendations, and guest posts. Even so, I fear that I don't belong with them, that I can't be so crazy as to trust their kindness. This is what I want you to know. So many of us have been hurt this way. So many of us are afraid to take a seat at the table. We walk around believing that we're not wanted, that we're not good enough to join in with everyone else. We hang back, fearing the vulnerability that comes with joining in. But now, when I struggle to submit my work and take the risk of rejection, I have a secret weapon. I remember these words by writer and theologian Frederick Buchner. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't be complete without you. This is what I really want you to know because it's a truth that has helped to set me free. Every one of us has a seat at the table. All of us belong here. Grace, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Caroline. If you are listening and you have an issue that you would like to talk about in our What I Want You to Know series, you can check out our show notes for instructions on how to submit. All right, Matthias, you want to read us our listener question for today? Yeah. So this is from a mom, and and she says, I can't find time for me between homeschooling young kids and her husband working a lot. Um, Which, I mean, that's relatable. Like, regardless of... (laughs) kids and husband (laughs) i feel like that question of finding time for me (laughs) it's so hard it's so hard i I feel like i know very few people that don't struggle with that regardless of your life situation totally yeah because i think you know we all fill up our lives with things and so i mean certainly there are particularities of having kids and and a husband who works a lot like absolutely and so i i think this the, the thoughts that I have around this will apply across the board, but, you know, as always, Kristen, you're the mom, so you can tell me if this sounds <laughs> true or not. But, like, that, that question of can't find time for me, I I have found this to be helpful for myself of literally, similar to how I'm doing with my writing time, scheduling in time. Yeah. And letting... Like, and then letting go of that control <laughs> yeah. of, like, people are still going to text me or, you know, maybe kids are still going to, like, need things. Uh, but, like, this is you time and or this is my time. And, like, I'm just going to let let that be mm-hmm. until my time is up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been so helpful for me. Like, I will tell friends or people who want to hang out, like, I'm so sorry I have a meeting during this time. People respect that. You don't have to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it, 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 it works, at least for me. I don't know the kid's equation. Tell me whether that feels like it would work, Kristen. But. Well, here's what I often have moms ask themselves when I hear about overwhelm. I ask these questions. Number one, what can you delegate? Mm. And usually there is something, even with young kids. It's like, you know, what can you delegate to the kids? What can you delegate to the husband? Because, you know, we have just been socialized for so long for women to carry the domestic load in so many ways. The first question I I always ask is, whose laundry are you doing? And who else can do their own laundry? (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So women, if you're doing your husband's laundry and he's a grown ass man and you're overwhelmed and you don't have me time, stop doing his laundry. <laughs> like yeah. that's an easy place to start. If your mm. kids are old enough, have them put their own laundry away. It might look terrible, but like have them do that. Have them cut vegetables. How can they be a sous chef for you? Maybe they can't execute an entire meal, but could they cut something up? Could they prep something? Um, and then, you know, I think a sit down is always warranted with a spouse of like, hey, I'm not getting any time to myself. I'm not getting leisure time because you deserve it. You do mm -hmm. deserve it, even if he works a lot. And so does that look like, you know, he needs to cut back at work if he can't? Does it look like outsourcing? Does it look like having a babysitter come? Does it look like having a housekeeper? And that would be the second question. The first question is, what can you out, what can you delegate? The second question is, what can you outsource? You know, can you afford a housekeeper? Can you afford a babysitter? Um, not everyone can, but you know, these are just questions to ask. But I think scheduling it in, I think that's really valuable too. I think that's a really good idea and just making it impermeable, you know, like this is just as important as anything else on the to-do list. Right. And I mean, you think it brings us back to that question of boundaries and can you set boundaries with yourself? Yeah. Uh, and what you allow and don't allow. Cause I, I think that's been like, at least in this for me, like that's been my hardest thing is like the, like the, the impermeability of it. <laughs> like, that I will not respond to this text and that has got to be okay. Yeah. Um, I will get to it later and, or emails, you know, whatever it is that's trying to rob my attention um, that like, no, I'm going to not pay attention to that. I mean, sometimes that literally means leaving my phone in the other room or turning it off and hiding it from myself. Like, but and I know you can't do that with kids. You can't turn them off and hide them. <laughs> no, but you know, you can't like what that looked like for me with young kids was I enforced a nap time that was, you know, you don't get them out of your room till the timer goes off. I don't care if you're sleeping or reading or playing by yourself, but like I'm getting an hour and a half to myself where you're going to yeah. be in a room alone mm -hmm. right. and that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I remember my mom doing that. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's actually really good for kids. It's good for kids to learn what to do with themselves, to learn how to entertain themselves, soothe themselves, you know? I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want them in there screaming. I don't recommend that. But, you know, when they're old enough, just, you know, to gradually increase the time. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully they will read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one, though. And I know it she is. mentioned she was homeschooling, which makes it even tougher. Right. Um, there's a lot of sacrifices to personal time involved in homeschooling. Totally. And But here's the question, because I was homeschooled. Yeah. <laughs> and this was something that, like, my, I remember my parents talking about this a lot when they decided to start homeschooling uh, my siblings and, and I. Uh, like, my mom was like, I, I cannot add this to my workload. <laughs> and... So they, I mean, they found, like, my parents really valued homeschooling. They really wanted to homeschool. And they found a curriculum that would allow my mom to be as hands-off as possible. And so, like, there are even options there of yeah. whether it's online-based. Even with young kids, if they're in school, they know how to use a computer. Yeah. It's just the reality that we live in. Can you outsource to a curriculum or something that will allow your kids... Yes. Someone else to teach your kids in some ways. <laughs> so yes. You can have that space. Like, oh, totally. And I mean, I there. think even 
since the pandemic, those options are so much more robust mm-hmm. at this point, you know, um, right. homeschooling options where, you know, they're really teacher based and, and public in many cases and free, yep. you know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a good point in terms of homeschooling. All right. So our psychology and pop culture, um, I wanted to talk about this New Yorker article that I thought was really fascinating. And I've been, I've been noticing this and talking about this myself. It's this idea of the rise of therapy speak. And some of the ways that we're seeing that is like people using the term triggered, which used to be, you know, specific to like trauma, but they're using the term triggered for anything that they don't like. Or my kids are using the term gaslighting, even though they don't know what that really means. Um, People talking about other people being toxic. Another thing that this article talks about that I've definitely seen is people describing any conflict as abusive, right? Right. Right. Or manipulative. Right. Have you noticed this too? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So what have you seen? I mean, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Especially those terms, like you're talking about, like toxic gas lighting. Um, I mean, people, even the word trauma, like I feel like people are using that word so often. Uh, Yeah. And like, I think in some ways there are really good things about this. Like like, this language is kind of coming into the culture. Uh I mean, you've already said it. The problem is, is that when we don't actually know what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. when we're using terms to define things that aren't actually what's going on. And then we use that as like to, to almost put a value label on people. That person is gaslighting me. Therefore they're bad when like, that's not even the scenario that we're in. <laughs> you mm-hmm. just feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you feel like you, yeah. So I, it's, it's posing a lot of problems. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I remember a distinct moment when one of my kids accused the other one of being triggered. And I've like, I was like, oh, we've jumped the shark. Like we've, this, this has now, this word that was supposed to be, you know, in an attempt to, soften the blow of something that could trigger a trauma response, right? Like trigger warning, we're going to talk about, you know, something difficult is now just a way that teenagers are like throwing, you know, they're just throwing it around. Like Mm -hmm. it cheapens it, you know? Right. Right. It takes away, like, I mean, I find in in my practice when I'm talking to clients, like I have to, like I've started, I have started having to use different language mm-hmm. to describe the same thing, but so that we're actually, so that we're both on the same page of what we're talking about. Like, yeah. like I will explain, like, <laughs> it sounds like that person is invalidating your experience and telling you what your experience is. You know, some people would call that gaslighting, but like having to actually explain <laughs> what yeah. I'm talking about, because this, this shared understanding of terms is is yeah it's diluting yeah well and there you know it isn't always a shared understanding i mean i think it's like it's yeah it's it's just going overboard it's like now anybody who has a different memory of an experience is gaslighting yeah and anybody who um you know tells you something you don't like is manipulative and anyone who is having conflict with you is abusive and toxic like, it, you know, it, it does, diluting is a good word for it. It is diluting real problematic things in, you know, into, it's like taking everyday experiences 
and then making them, I don't know. It's like, it's like over exaggerating, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like as I'm saying that, it feels dismissive, but I'm not dismissing these things in real contexts. Right. I'm just saying that like, not every single person you have conflict with is toxic. (laughs) Right. Or manipulating you. (laughs) Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I am like, I am a 100% believer in what I would call like, lowercase t trauma. (laughs) Yes. The fact that we can hardly go through a day without experiencing some form of trauma. Like Mm -hmm. that is true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And (laughs) what is the language that we're using and, and how, like, how can we be, I think maybe in some ways like precise with what's actually happening Yeah. instead of kind of relying on these general terms that, that may not actually mean what they think they do. Yeah. And this one concerns me, too, when it comes to abuse. I feel like we're throwing that word around a lot, you know, um, that people are abusers because they've behaved badly, um, as opposed to real abuse, which I am very much an advocate for. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, it's it's hard. I, I feel like I see, yeah, it, it it feels like these words are sometimes just used irresponsibly. Yeah. At the same time, I mean, I also think that it's great that more people are engaged in learning about these concepts. Um, I mean, it's happening because more people are going to therapy or reading books by therapists. That's what's happening, which is good. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't know. This whole conversation is very triggering. (laughs) (laughs) I feel I've been traumatized. By this occurrence. <laughs> it's such a mess. It's it a is mess. such a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. Yeah. Because yeah. in some ways, I think we also, or I have seen these terms be used in a way to actually shut down conversation instead of opening up conversation. Okay. And, I completely agree. Talk about that, though. Yeah. And I think, like, I mean, that's some of the difference between <laughs> therapy and yeah. the rest of life is like when we're using these terms, a lot of times we're using them to invite people into the reality of what they have faced. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're inviting conversation. And, and I think when we start using some of these terms to like shut down or to like close off mm-hmm. of you're just an abuser um, when we don't want to listen to that person yeah. Of course, of course, we always have to make the caveats of they may actually be an abuser. Right. And then we have to set boundaries. But like, just that generalized, like, I'm not going to listen to you because I don't like what you're saying. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to use these really loaded words to describe you. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a problem. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, I mean, honestly, I feel like Twitter is rife with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, right. of right. just, yeah, people... <laughs> Everyone's accusing everyone else on Twitter of being abusive. Yep. Right. When it's like, this is a Twitter argument, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, we disagreed about something on Twitter. You have right. not been abused. <laughs> right. <laughs> not to say people can't be abusive on Twitter. I have definitely run into those people. But I'm yeah, talking about, you know, I think something and then someone else says, I feel differently. And then they're like, you're abusive. Right. Right. It's, yeah, it's shutting down conversation. Yeah. 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 Interesting stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, let's define gaslighting for those who are listening to this, just because I feel like that's an important one that I feel like is misused all the time. Yeah. I mean, I always think of gaslighting as someone, whether explicitly or implicitly, trying to convince you mm-hmm. that the experience that you have had is not your actual experience. Yes. Would you yes. add to that? Yeah. And I think it's intentional versus a very real human phenomenon that we know research shows that happens all the time to all people is remembering things different ways. Yes. That's and and if someone remembers something differently than you and speaks that out loud, that's not gaslighting. No. That's a different perspective or different memory. Our memories are terrible. I mean, that's what research really shows. Like none of us remember anything accurately. And right. when we're in, our, in an argument with another person, we have to remember that. We right. all have horrible memories. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, right. And, you know, and we get stuck in our, I know this is what happened, or this is exactly what you said, or this was the tone that you used. And if someone disagrees with that, it's not gaslighting. No. Gaslighting would be, um, you know, something objectively happened and the other person repeatedly saying it didn't. Right. Or like you're, you're in that argument and someone is like manipulating you. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it's manipulative, manipulating you into this is what you said. This is what you did uh, on like on their terms (laughs) to to, out of like benefit for you, for you. I mean, like obviously abusers use this all the time to, to, yeah. to use memory against us. Yes. Like, you don't actually remember what you're remembering. Yes. Um, here's what actually happened. And um, yeah, it, it's very different from just two different people remembering different things. Yeah. Well, it was a fascinating article from The New Yorker, and I will link it up in our show notes. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up, we're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 